The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world. Hi, I'm Don Egan. Thanks for listening today. We had a great day on Saturday at the RSVP Healing Conference over in Ipswich. Uh, if you were there, I'm glad. Uh, I was glad to see you. Uh, if you're one of those that couldn't make it, well, we're uh, making this podcast available so you can hear the teaching. So we've got three sessions, but today's podcast is uh, session one, which is looking at the question of does God heal today and how we get faith for healing. So without further ado, let's go over to the message. So I think there are three things going to happen today. Uh, one is we're going to reinforce some things, so that's something that you know and that you're doing, uh, but it's good to hear uh, what we know and what we're doing. I mean, the question is, does Tiger Woods practice golf? And the answer is yes, because he has to reinforce what he already knows and what he's already doing, and if he didn't regularly practice, you wouldn't know who he was. Maybe some of you don't. He's a golfer. (laughs) The second thing is we're going to remind you of something, so maybe you knew some things, uh, but you're not doing them anymore. So we're going to remind you so that you'll uh, start doing them. And then hopefully we're going to reveal some things. So something that you don't know and that you're not doing. And uh, so today will be a mixture. So not everything will be new to you, but hopefully uh, something will be a revelation. And really what we want is for you to hear from God. Um, I was telling someone over coffee that I, I recently went to Blackpool and there's a story in the newsletter but how that came about was two years ago um, I, I was up there at an Anglican church and we prayed, we had a healing service and we prayed for lots of people but there was a lady called Irene who'd been registered blind 25 years and she got a sight back and uh, she went to this other church called the Well Church which is a sort of young new church plant and uh, on the seafront and uh, they announced while she was there that we were going to have a healing service. So she said, oh, you need to get Don Egan because I was blind and I can see. And they're like, well, as though it's anything to do with me. Uh, you need to get Jesus, actually, if you're planning a healing service. <laughs> because believe me, if I can come and Jesus doesn't come, nothing's going to happen. Uh, so, but that, that, was, that was nice of her. And uh, they're great guys. And we had, a, we had a good time. And we saw some instant healings and some healings overnight and so on and so forth. Uh, so God is good. You know, when you hear things, especially the word cancer, uh, it's intimidating. It is intimidating. And I remember when Jane said, you know, would you, would you come and pray with me, Dad? He's got prostate cancer. It was intimidating. I think I don't really want to go because, you know, what if nothing happens? But nothing's impossible with God. We'll come to that later. Um, so you have to, this is what we're going to talk about in this first session, you have to stir up faith. Uh, uh, in so many cases Jesus said to people your faith has made you well Um, so let's just look at some scripture Um, I found this one, you don't need to look this one up but you make a note of it, this is just uh, I was thinking about today and I was just looking through Nehemiah and I just found this which is really about building a wall but I thought it's so true in the area of healing it says, uh, Judah said this is uh, Nehemiah 4.10 the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build a wall. And I thought when you're trying to uh, get hold of faith for healing, especially if you're sick and you've got a sickness uh, or you're trying to pray with someone, there is so much rubbish um, about there. Uh, so, me- so much rubbish teaching that, that God made you sick to teach you a lesson. 
well, if that's so, why are you going to the doctor, you know, and being disobedient? God's put the sickness on you. Why don't, and you believe it's going to be a blessing and teach you something, keep the sickness. Get really blessed, you know, and as you die, you know, get really blessed learning from God. It's just not true and not biblical. Uh, there's so much rubbish. And then, of course, there's a whole New Age movement that, you know, you can get crystals and bits of this, that and the other uh, off the internet, and that's supposed to do something wonderful. And uh, so there's a lot of rubbish about it, and I thought it is like Nehemiah building the wall as we build our faith. We have to clear... Uh, clear the rubbish. Um, I love this verse in Luke 9 and verse 11 because I really think it's what Jesus did and what we should be doing. There's all sorts of arguments in the church about should we do this, should we do that, uh, should we stand on one leg. Uh, you know, everything's a big issue, isn't it, in the, in the church. There's the vicar that wanted to move the piano from this side to that side and no one had let him, so he moved it three inches a week. And after a year, it was on the other side and nobody noticed. <laughs> but um, I think really what God calls us to do is to focus on the kingdom of God. Uh, the Pharisees focused on religion, and sometimes we talk about religion and denominational stuff, and stuff that, like in the Anglican Church, I think if we've done anything twice, it's a tradition. We've always done it that way. So if you want to get something good going, do it twice, and it'll become a tradition. Uh, but in Luke 9, it says uh, uh, that Jesus was actually trying to hide. He was trying to have some quiet time, but the crowds found him. Uh, and it says the crowds learned about it and followed him. And then it says this is what he did. He welcomed them, spoke about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. And that's generally, as you read through the gospel, that sums up what Jesus did. He welcomed the people, and he spoke about the kingdom, and he healed those who needed healing. And he spoke about the kingdom in all sorts of different ways. He spoke about fish. He spoke about sons and daughters. He spoke about money. He spoke about uh, uh, parties and weddings and so on and so forth. And all the time, he, and, and sowing and reaping. And he, he was teaching people about how the kingdom works. And uh, what we need to do is, is, is realize that God's primary purpose is to restore our relationship with him. And one of the issues in the area of healing is so often we're looking for his hand. We're looking to get something from him, the gift of being healed. But really what God is longing for is that we seek his face, that we have that intimate relationship with him, come what may. And uh, in 1987, uh, we had a, a little boy who was two who was born with a heart deformity and he was, he was dying and uh, he was in and out of hospital. And I didn't know any of the scriptures about healing. And I remember the day he had his op. Uh, I remember it was raining and just raindrops going down the window. And I just said, God, I don't know what to pray. I don't even know if it's your will to heal him. I'm just, uh, you know, polarized completely because I don't know anything. Uh, and we need to come to that place where we have that relationship with God. And I decided that whatever happens, that I will focus on the relationship with God. And I'm glad I did. I wish I'd known some of this then, but the primary focus has to be our relationship with God, whatever happens. And uh, there's a wonderful verse in uh, Job that I learned at that time. Uh, and Job just, in all the arguments of Job's uh, illness, he, he says about God, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. In other words, whatever happens, 
I'm just going to love God uh, because that's got to be the foundation of everything else. And so we may come to seek his hand, but we should really seek his face because if you get the face, you get the hand thrown in as well in that relationship. So I want to look at some questions. Is it God's will to heal? Because you must answer this question if you're going to have faith for healing. If you come to pray with someone and you're not even sure if it's God's will to heal, how can you stir faith that God will do anything? We, we, to come, faith means coming with expectation, that we should expect something to happen. And I'm coming here today expecting that something's going to happen. And I don't know what will happen. I, I'm always amazed by what God does. And sometimes I think he's going to do one thing and he does something else. I remember when we were in Uganda, I think it was my second trip to Africa, we, we had, uh, <laughs> there was this healing crusade in a field and it had that verse from Luke on a big banner that he welcomed them, spoke about the kingdom and healed those in need healing. And it was a pastor in Kampala was having a crusade and he got malaria, he was too sick to do his own crusade. And so his elders saw that his white preachers around and said, would you come, are you free this week to do this crusade? And so we're in this field in the middle of Kampala. And, uh, you know, we weren't prepared because that wasn't what we'd gone for. But we welcomed the people, we spoke about the kingdom, and we prayed for those uh, who needed healing. And they brought a boy and a girl, uh, about nine years old each, uh, both uh, deaf and dumb. And uh, so we were praying with a girl here, and the little boy was stood there waiting to be prayed with. And as we prayed for the little girl, uh, the little girl, that's right, the little boy began to speak and hear. And uh, we, were, we were like, God, we're here. <laughs> and, and he's like, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so we don't know what God will do, uh, but he's, he comes and does something. And obviously he knows more than we know. He knows the ins and outs of each one of us. He knows the number of hairs on our head and that's a bigger job for some than others but he knows <laughs> he knows about all that kind of stuff so we have to trust that what he uh, is doing. I mean I think one of the most uh, fearful things in the sense of oh God is a holy God was, was Irene's healing the blind lady in Blackpool because um, I got a letter uh, from the vicar after that weekend we did and she got healed and it just said that uh, that as she was going out of the church, her sight returned. And uh, she, she was so shocked she couldn't tell anyone. But I went to speak up on Blackpool Seafront at the Marine Hall. Ken Dodd was on next week. It's great to be Ken Dodd's... <laughs> it's great to be Ken Dodd's warm-up man. But anyway, uh, we had a carol service up there, and Irene came, and then she told me uh, firsthand the story. And uh, she's been registered blind, so it was, it was the main bit of her sight that was just blank. So there was a little bit of peripheral vision, but she hadn't seen faces, and really it was so blurred she couldn't really see anything. So I registered blind for 25 years. And over those 25 years, whenever she shut her eyes, she saw a white light. And, uh, and then six months before we had that healing service up in Blackpool, uh, she closed her eyes to go to sleep one night, and she saw a man's face. And, um, and she said he was very handsome. And... Uh, and, and so she said that, she said that. So um, she thought, oh, I don't know what that is, but she found from that day for six months, every time she closed her eyes, she saw this man's face. And she said what happened was, we came forward to be prayed with, nothing happened, and I was going out of the church after coffee, and uh, 
my friend brought me to you just to shake hands and say goodbye. And as you shook my hand, my sight came back and your face was the face I've been seeing for six months. I mean, and she told me that, I mean, just the hairs on the back of my because what does that mean? What is the scripture for that? I have no idea. That is just, but that tells me that God had a plan and you know, we better be sure that we're doing what God is calling us to do and being in the right place. You know, because often, uh, and I told the guys up in Blackpool, uh, I'd just been in uh, Rwanda for a week and then Kenya, and uh, I came back, I had uh, two days at home, I think, I was driving up to Blackpool, and I'm going up the M6 or whatever it is, I don't know what day it was, never mind what motorway I was on, and I, I told the guys, I'm coming up here thinking, what am I driving to Blackpool for? Uh, but then some people got healed in the first meeting. And it isn't to do with me. It is Jesus. But he uses men and women. He uses us. And he has an assignment on your life uh, too. So we must answer, uh, is it God's will to heal? So first of all, it strikes me that in Eden before the fall, there was no sickness because he made everything. And he said it was good. And he made men and women. And he said it was very good. And of course, death and sickness came through the fall when we separated ourselves from God. And then in Revelation 21.4, uh, looking at the kingdom to come, uh, it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there should be no more death or sorrow or crying. There should be no more pain for the former things have passed away. So there's no sickness in heaven. So maybe, you know, sometimes you think, well, maybe just in this period between Eden and, and, uh, and the kingdom to come, uh, you know, we just have to put up with some stuff. But uh, in Matthew 6:10, Jesus was asked by the disciples how they should pray, and he taught them a prayer. And one line of that prayer is to pray to God that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus taught us to pray that what happens in heaven will happen here on earth. And so we have to uh, come. And again, you see your kingdom comes. So it's about this kingdom that he was talking about. So it's not about, uh, I mean, um, Alison's here and she's pioneered our work with uh, uh, sex workers in Ipswich. And uh, sometimes we get asked, uh, what, you know, what church are they going to? <laughs> well, you obviously have never <laughs> encountered some of these people. But I can tell you that uh, on many occasions, Ali and Ali's Alison sat with them on a bench in the middle of Ipswich and you may have walked past them as you're shopping and it may look like some strange people on a bench and it is uh, <laughs> and uh, they ask her about God and she reads the Bible with them and prays with them uh, for healing for release from addictions for peace for elimination of suicidal thoughts that to me strikes me as the kingdom so which church do they go to? No, we're trying to bring the kingdom. And the church is there somewhere in the kingdom. But it's not about notching up church members. It's about bringing the kingdom. And uh, that's one of the things I feel that wherever we go and, and preach, whether it's you know on the streets, in Ipswich, in prison, or wherever, I'm never asking the question, will they come to our church? In fact, some people are... <laughs> we deal with, I think, please don't come to our church. <laughs> Not because I don't want you to, but we wouldn't go with you. We, we, we're a little Anglican church doing, you know, communion and, 
And where you are in your walk with God is just not there. You're slightly somewhere else. And so I don't think we'd be helpful to everyone. So it's where is the kingdom? Where is the kingdom coming? So Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God introduces himself uh, in the Old Testament in Exodus 15:26, which is an interesting verse, as the God who heals. Uh, in fact, he says to the people of Israel, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So you two things there. One is that God is saying, I'm Jehovah Rapha. And, you know, there's really, I am healing is the literal translation. So God is our healing. That's why we need that relationship. And he's talking about obedience to walk in the relationship with him, which obviously history proves that Israel was never able to do as a nation. But Christ came so that the spirit of God could be in us, so that we walk in obedience. It's possible for us to do things that wasn't possible for Israel because Christ put his spirit in us so that we desire to be obedient to the law. So some people say, ah, well, you see, God does put sickness on you because it says there that if you obey, he won't put sickness on you. So obviously that implies that he does put sickness. But if you study the Hebrew a bit, where he's talking about putting sickness on you, I won't put sickness on you, it's, um, it's a causative verb rather than a permissive verb. In other words, he doesn't want to permit sickness, but just as in the Garden of Eden, when we separated ourselves out from God, it's the consequence of that separation will bring us under a curse, which in turn will bring sickness uh, into our lives. So it's not God's desire. He's not saying, I'm teaching you a lesson, but you were designed to be in relationship with God. And that's the safest place to be. And so when Jesus comes in the Gospels healing the sick, he's breaking down this curse. He came to overthrow the curse and he's breaking that curse over us. So what God's saying is if if you're a person of faith, you know, walk in obedience because to walk in disobedience, willful disobedience, is to bring yourself under a curse. And that curse will automatically bring you under its curse, uh, which is uh, sickness. And if you study in uh, Deuteronomy 28, uh, you know, God says it gives them a choice between life and death. And it lists all the blessings that come upon those who follow God and are obedient to him. And then it lists all the curses. Uh, and, um, and sickness is listed in those curses. So it's not that God is a meanie and is, is sort of schizophrenic that one day is the healer and one day is the one that puts it on you. But just by means of separating yourself from him, you're bringing yourself under a curse. And Christ came to set us free from that curse. So God was teaching them that the relationship with him is the most important thing to walk with him. uh, So that we have the things of Eden uh, and heaven uh, that we were designed to have. Jesus came to break the curse. I mean, Jesus said when he came, if you want to know what the Father's like, anyone who's seen the Father, uh, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So therefore, if God put sickness on you, uh, you would see Jesus healing some people over here, and it would say he went to this village and put all this sickness on the people. But he doesn't say that, because that isn't God's 
desire isn't God's will and it isn't God's plan. And the difference comes, so we, some people say, well, there are scriptures about uh, God using suffering, that we're part of his suffering. Suffering isn't the same as sickness. We, we suffer, we can suffer persecution, we can suffer trouble, we can suffer relationship problems, we can suffer from being in debt, uh, we can suffer from all sorts of things. And those things, uh, if we try to be righteous and pray to God and work through them, they will build our character up. And so, yes, suffering is in the world, and God can use godly suffering, and Paul talks about godly suffering, but he's not referring to sickness, uh, and we need to be careful that we don't confuse uh, the two. Uh, and then, as Brian said in Matthew 8:17, it says that he himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and uh, quoting Isaiah. So it's just, it strikes me that as Jesus came to take our sin on the cross, uh, which is what we're familiar about. I mean, how many believe that your sin was taken by Jesus on the cross and that he's the one that answered to that? And, and you're all confident with that because it's been preached a lot and because faith comes by hearing. And so if you hear some stuff and it's true and faith comes, you can be confident. But I can tell you, you have no evidence that would stand up in a court of law that you're going to be safe when you stand before God. You cannot prove to me that your sin is forgiven. Go on, if you can. <laughs> you can't prove it, but you're confident, like I am, that when we stand there on that day, it's going to be okay. And you just know that. And that assurance has come to you by faith, by the word of God, by hearing the word of God, and believing the word of God, and trusting Jesus, and having a relationship with him. So we're confident in that. And the preachers of this land and around the world have preached about sins forgiven, uh, almost to the point of you know, boring some people. They don't want to hear about it. But they've preached it and preached it, and so faith has come, because faith comes by hearing the word. But healing hasn't always been preached. There's been seasons in history when it has, and seasons when it hasn't, and places. Uh, I mean, I get emails all over the world where people say, this is amazing teaching. And I'm looking at what they've listened to. I think, oh, it's very basic teaching. We've never heard teaching about healing in our church. I've been going for 20 years, one girl said. Well, I'll go to another church then, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, what are they teaching here? And um, there's a fear among church leaders about... Uh, you know, the healing thing. But um, faith comes by hearing. And the more we study, the more I've studied the scriptures on healing, the more I'm confident um, that something's going to happen. Something is going to happen. Uh, you know, the Bible says nothing's impossible with God. And that's right. Something's got to happen because nothing's impossible. Something has to give. Whenever I travel about the country and I'm asked to speak, particularly on healing, um, I used to think, you know, do I have to pray for specific things to happen? But I just go in expectation that God will do something. And it was great in um, uh, Basildon a couple of years ago. Um, I'm always torn to whether to ask people immediately when we prayed, does anyone know they've got healed? Because hey, I don't want that. I think there's two dangers. One is... If it goes quiet, someone will take pity on Don Egan and make something up. I really don't. That is really not helpful. I don't want a ministry of lies, you know, about we'll put you in the newsletter that you pretended to be healed, you know. 
Um, that's just manipulation. So I'm nervous about that. Also, I think sometimes when we've just prayed, there can be an atmosphere of, of high faith and part of and a little bit of euphoria. And so sometimes you could say that you're healed, and then you get home and you find you're not healed. Um, but anyway, on this occasion, I just said uh, with those provisos, is there anybody here that knows for sure that they can do something they couldn't do when they came? And there's a man kind of stood up and said he'd got arthritis in his knees, he'd turned 50, and he just assumed that would just get worse. And for a couple of years, he'd not been able to squat down. And then he kind of squatted down six times in front of us to prove that he could do it. And he says, just all the pain's gone. And uh, I thought, I wish we could have that confirmed by a doctor. And then his wife says, and he should know he's a GP. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, well, that's a good one, because the doctor's the one who's confirmed his own healing. So I thought that was... I thought that was fair enough. I think there are two places we can get healed or two scenarios of getting healed. One is faith and one is the anointing. And the Bible teaches that we can stir up our own faith. Um, Somewhere in uh, John's letters, I haven't got the reference, but I can look it up. Um, He said that to everyone is given a measure of faith. So when we come to Christ, everyone is given a measure of faith. And Jesus said, obviously, that if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So you don't need a lot of faith, but you do need faith. And, uh, and then Romans 10:17 talks about faith comes by hearing. So we can increase our faith by hearing the, word of, uh, hearing the word of God. But there are some people, I'm going to talk about this other alternative in the next session, who get healed who don't have faith. And there can be people getting out of wheelchairs and dramatic healings and they didn't have any faith. And you think, well, how how did that happen? And uh, so there are two streams. And I know that when I'm ministering, some stuff is happening by faith and then you can sense uh, an anointing coming down uh, to heal. And that is the easiest place to get healed. If you can find that healing anointing, it says in, I think it's in Luke uh, 6, but again, I'm, I'm not confident in that, uh, but it says that Jesus was there, the people were there, and the power of the Lord was present to heal, which implies, I mean Luke doesn't go into that, but it implies that at other times the power of the Lord wasn't present to heal. So there's an anointing that comes, and when that anointing comes on a meeting, uh, it's very easy to get healed. It's very, very easy to get healed. And uh, what I normally try and do then is just do everything I can to keep that anointing there. And it's just like God comes down, visits his people and does some stuff, does some business. And, and you don't need faith to get healed in that anointing. But the Bible also says that you can get healed by faith. Jesus said many, to many people, your faith has made you well. And you can get healed by faith without any anointing. Um, you, you can get healed just by the word of God and faith in the word of God without the anointing of God being there. There's a man some of you may have heard of called Kenneth Hagen, who's gone to be with the Lord now. But when I went off to Bible college, someone gave me about 12 of his books, and I read six pages, and I thought, it's trite American nonsense, <laughs> and gave the books to someone who didn't think it was trite American nonsense. But I missed one book called Understanding the Anointing. And uh, years later, I pulled it off. It's amazing. It is American, but it's not trite, and it's not nonsense. And I thought, what an idiot. Just in my arrogance, I gave all this great teaching away. Um, 
Now, he was crippled on his bed, and I, I think it may have even been dying. Anyway, as a young 17-year-old man, crippled and bedridden. And uh, he read uh, Mark 11:23, uh, which says, in one part of that, it says he'll have whatever he says if we speak to the mountain, that kind of thing. He'll have whatever he says. And that phrase, uh, he'll have whatever he says, leapt off the page. So he thought, well, what would I like? I'd like to be healed. So he started saying, I'm healed. And uh, within a few, you know, short time, he got out of bed and he was completely healed. And uh, I don't know if he was a, a Baptist, I'm not sure what stream of uh, Christianity he was in, but for years he held healing meetings and he got people healed without any anointing. He wasn't baptised in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he just spoke about faith and mainly preached on Mark 11:23, And he got more people healed, he says, than the Pentecostal church in his area. But then he got baptised in the Spirit and then he discovered there's this thing called the anointing. And he said it's even easier <laughs> to get people healed <coughs> under the anointing. And he said in his, in his meetings towards the end of his life, certainly he could, he could just know that the anointing was there and he would know when it lifted. And when it lifted, he started speaking words of faith and continued in the faith. So I think there are two aspects and that's why some people who don't have faith get healed very quickly. Uh, and people who have got faith are kind of working through some stuff. But if you've got a notebook, you might just want to quickly jot these references down, but it's very clear that Jesus connected faith with healing. And in all these cases, uh, there's a connection. It's either the person, the sick person's faith, or like the man let down through the roof by his four friends, it says when he saw their faith. It doesn't say that the crippled man had faith. But when he saw them breaking the roof, he thought, these guys have got faith that something's going to happen. So much so they're breaking the roof to get this guy here. And he responds to faith. Uh, so the references are uh, Matthew 8.10, Matthew 9.2, Matthew 9.22, Matthew 9.29, Matthew 14.31, Matthew 15.28, Matthew 17:20 and Matthew 21:21 21, 21 to 46. Sorry, Ma- Matthew Matthew 21:21 to 46. And then I'm just going to read Matthew 23:23. 23, 23. So if you just look at those you'll see that Jesus connects faith with healing. But in Matthew 23:23 23, when he's arguing with the Pharisees uh, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of the mint, uh, anince, and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he's saying to them, Great, it's great that you tithe and keep all the law, but there's a weightier matter than tithing. And all the three weightier matters uh, justice, mercy, and faith. So faith is a weighty matter. That's why it says in Hebrews, I think it is, that without faith it's impossible to please God. It's a weighty matter, faith. And so we mustn't dismiss it. And I know um, there's a whole faith movement and people dismiss all of it or some of it. And people talk about, oh, that whole thing is, well, you didn't get healed because you didn't have faith. Um, I don't know of anyone that's actually said that to a sick person, but it's caricatured 
like that. But I'd rather be known as someone who was interested in the word of faith rather than the word of doubt, <laughs> to be honest, because I think faith produces the better stuff. And uh, not every ministry has integrity and not everyone's in it for the kingdom, but it's clear that uh, faith comes by hearing and some of these ministries are teaching things. The first time I heard the phrase, name it and claim it, which is the caricature of the American kind of prosperity thing, and I hadn't heard of that either, it was in the back in the, um, in the 80s, early 90s, I was on a holiday mission with church army on a boat with 10 rabid evangelists driving me up the wall. And we, <laughs> we, we just went, they were all right if you let them loose on the lost, but to be stuck on a boat with them, I'll tell you, it was, <laughs> there's that lovely phrase David Watson used to quote, isn't there? To live, a love, to live above with saints we love, that would be bliss and glory. But to live on earth... To, to live below with those we know, that's quite a different story. But, um, <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we did this pub crawl, uh, and so we had, a, we had a... No, it was good stuff. We had, a, we had this professional singer with us, and we booked him. I'd been to see all the landlords down the Norfolk Broads, and we booked him in as an act in the pub garden. So we had permission to be there. And... Um, uh, he'd sing thong, songs like I'm a Believer and you know, things with a little hint of could be turned around to Christian stuff. And then the rest of us would chat to people at table, anyone that wanted to chat or uh, pray with. And someone uh, said one day when we were going to the next place, we came early in the morning across Ramworth uh, Broad and um, all the places were taken for the boats and we've got a 60-foot, 10 berth boat and I'm thinking, where are we going to tie up because we've got to set up some PA equipment and uh, this guy from uh, Yorkshire said oh, oh you want to use the name it and claim it thing so I says what's that he said well you name it and claim it and he was sort of um, caricaturing this this sort of faith teaching so I'd never heard of it before so I just for a joke really I just said that big blue boat there I name that space and I claim it now in Jesus name and as I said that the bloke on the boat waved to me and went like this, <laughs> untied his boat and moved out. And I went... <laughs> so that kind of caught my attention. <laughs> it doesn't mean I believe everything they teach is right, but it kind of caught my attention that uh, we need to rise up in faith and make some statements. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, then in Romans 4.17, when... God's talking about Abraham. He, he talks about uh, God in this sense. It's a complicated verse because it's carried over from the previous verse. Um, but it says, as it, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations, talking about Abraham, in the presence of him who believed, who he believed, who's that? God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So what he's referring to, that when it was dark, God said, let there be light. But when he said, let there be light, it was dark. But he called something that was not, as though it was. And really, the literal translation of the Hebrew is, is just that he said light, with, with the light be. So he was intending light to come, and light came. And then the Bible teaches that we're made in his image. And you know, as well as I do, that words are very powerful. If you've ever been the subject of stinging criticism, especially from someone that you respect or that, whose opinions you know you value, it's very, very hurtful. Words are very powerful. 
I mean, that whole thing we used to sing as kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, it's just not true. And I meet 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, who are still stuck with something they were called at school, and it's, it's really wounded them. And so words are very powerful. So what, uh, what uh, Paul is saying to the Romans is that God calls things as though they're not, uh, as, that are not as though they are. So that's why, uh, you know, as Brian says, when he's got the prostate cancer, he begins to say, I am healed. Now, the doctor would say, no, you're not. But he doesn't mean that. What he means is I'm, I'm calling something that is not as though it is. And I'm beginning to speak it out. And because we're made in the image of God, what we proclaim uh, has some power. And it intimidates the devil. And the devil wants you to say, you know, I'm ill, I'm sick, I'm getting worse. Because all that confirms in your own mind and heart that you are getting sick and worse. But if we contradict that, and uh, you find it in another place in Joel 3.10, you know, through the prophet Joel, God calls on his people and he says let the weak say I'm strong so is God calling us to lie no he's doing that thing of calling what is not as though it uh, uh, as though it those things which are not as though they are let the weak say I'm strong so when we're ill it's good to jump up and say I am healed and walk around and sometimes people think we're mad people (laughs) but that doesn't matter because it may be true but um, we walk around and contradict what our bodies are saying and what uh, the devil may want to say. And then, finally, in this session about faith, the Mark 11:23, Jesus, the disciples are, are struck that he cursed the fig tree the night before and it died. And they come the following morning, it's, it's dead from the root upwards. And he, he says, you know, if you've got faith, assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And that's a powerful phrase, that if we don't doubt in our heart, we will have whatever we say. I'm going to close with this story in this session. Uh, we're trying to move house, and which is mad at this <laughs> moment in time. But I didn't let the credit crunch intimidate me because we feel it's time, under God, to move. And so... You know, the value of our house has dropped 30 grand, and God says, well, now's a good time to move. Well, financially, it's not really, uh, but we've been obedient, and we're we're moving, and we really felt God had uh, brought us to this uh, place to buy, and uh, we couldn't sell our house, and we got very convinced that the house that we'd found was the house where God wanted us to be. And, uh, And then the estate agent says, oh, it's gone, someone else has bought it. And um, I don't know if my wife even knows this, but I drove up to the house that night and I said, well, the estate agent says you've been sold to someone else, but I'm telling your house, you are mine <laughs> and I'm moving in and I don't care what the estate agent says. And uh, anyway, we, we started, you know, just as a backup plan, looking at other houses. But in my mind, I thought, now that's our house. And then we, the day we sold our house, the estate agent phoned me and said, are you still interested in that other house? Because the whole chain's fallen down. It's back on the market. I said, I'll make you an offer right now. <laughs> and hopefully in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be moving in there. Now, you may say that's a coincidence, and it may be. But I've noticed that the more I pray and the more I rise up in faith, the more coincidences happen. So stir up your faith. Um, there's a great verse in uh, 
1 Samuel somewhere, I think, where it talks about David and it says he, he encouraged himself. <laughs> that tells me he didn't have anyone else to encourage him. But Saul was after to kill him. Everything was going wrong. Those around him were in debt and depressed. And it says that David encouraged himself. And that's the reason why we're having worship at these sessions, so that we encourage ourselves in the Lord and faith comes. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to teach us from your word about faith and how faith can move mountains. And uh, we do already come against every sickness. Some may have come because they're sick or know someone that's sick. And we come against it and we declare that the kingdom as, uh, of Jesus has broken the curse on sickness and that that power that was released on the cross that day and from the empty tomb dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. So we take authority of every uh, sickness that's represented here or in the families represented here and we curse that sickness and command it to go in the name of Jesus. Amen. The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world.